You're listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features learnings from trailblazers in entrepreneurship and investment. I'm your host, Rihanna Shaw, and today on the show, we have Aaron Horn McKinney, founder of Black Female Founders, and McKeever Conwell II, deal team coordinator at Tedco, Maryland. Thanks for tuning in. To start with, would love to hear both of your stories a little bit. You both have such fascinating backgrounds in both entrepreneurship, investment, as well as in a lot of government innovation work and, and really creating an ecosystem around entrepreneurship as well as an ecosystem around minority founders. So would love to start with both of your stories. Erin, would you like to go first? Sure. So my background is is that I started in advertising, uh, working with tech companies, and uh, that was kind of in the early 2000s during the dot-com boom. And I actually started a e-newsletter called Soul on Ice in Minneapolis, Minnesota that really took off, had over 20,000 uh, subscribers to it. But even going to tech events, I never saw anyone that looked like me. I never felt like I was actually an entrepreneur and definitely not a tech entrepreneur. Fast forward, I ended up selling that often. Uh, I moved to the Bay Area as well as my uh, technical co-founder for that company. And later, I started another tech company with a, a third co-founder who was a native to the Valley, who had worked in the early days of Yahoo and at Baby Center and eBay and so forth. And we started kind of this thought for what later would become the idea for Kiss and Tell. This was about 2007, 2008. Uh, we, as three black co-founders, two which were women, we approached different organizations and incubators at the time. There weren't a whole lot, right? So we were going to like Y Combinator, we were trying to get resources for our Amazon Web Service, but we felt like we had the magic trifecta that everyone talks about, that we had our technical co-founder, we had me who did business development, and then we had our other co-founder who did marketing. But we could not get into any of these programs. We realized that we were not networked in, and we started really looking at who was getting into these programs and who was also getting funded and who ran those programs. And the pattern matching there was that it ultimately was all white males. (laughs) And so we thought, okay, there just were no programs that supported diversity at that time. And so I really got angry, kind of had what I call my legally blonde moment, and took an opportunity to go to grad school back here in D.C. and to get into tech policy and say, you know what, I'm no one's talking about diversity in tech, whether it's about employment, about entrepreneurs, about workforce development, all of that. And not thinking that I was kind of ahead of the curve at the time, I just really did it out of frustration and wanting to kind of figure out, I, I never thought I'd be in policy, but wanting to kind of figure out what were the policy angles to make that change. As I was coming out of my graduate program, I got an opportunity to start a trade association for women and minority tech entrepreneurs. And that led us to approaching Washington, D.C., uh, the government to take over a school and create a live workspace for women and minority tech entrepreneurs. We were one of the finalists, however, we were not chosen. But the city really liked the ideas and the kind of issues that I was bringing up and said, hey, we'd like to create something in D.C. and really build out an ecosystem that is an, uh, around inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship. You know, would you be willing to kind of create something? And that's what happened. Um, and so for the last several years, I ran tech and innovation and entrepreneurship uh, for Washington, D.C. through the mayor's office. And then as a part of, like as I was segueing out of D.C. government, also started a uh, organization called Black Female Founders, affectionately known, by the way, as BFF. And it's become a global member membership organization, really community and movement for women-led tech startups and female tech leaders throughout the black diaspora. And then in addition to that, still being an entrepreneur 
uh, with my own tech company called Kiss and Tell. That's really incredible. So you also work a lot with McKeever, who we also have here, who does a lot of work in Maryland and does a lot of work around encouraging entrepreneurship there. So could you tell us your story, McKeever? Sure. Um, so I'm a software engineer by trade. I spent seven years as a government contractor working for the Department of Defense. Um, well, working for contracting companies that supported the Department of Defense. Um, in 2010, me and two of my best friends decided we were going to start our first company called NoBadGift.com. I know it's a horrible name, but... It's a cool idea. It was a uh, crowdfunding platform for gifting. We spent the year building it, had no clue what we were doing. Um, after that year, we realized there was all these things we never thought about, like investors and marketing and customer acquisition. Like, we just thought we just needed to build something cool and people would use it. Um, and so from there, uh, I, I started networking. And from the networking and getting connected into the local tech community in Baltimore, all these opportunities started to pop up. And so I transitioned from being a developer to being the CEO of the company. We ran that company for about four years. We went through two accelerators, one in Baltimore and one in San Francisco. Um, Accelerate Baltimore and the New Me Accelerator. Um, I was then also the entrepreneur in residence for the New Me Accelerator for the following class. And learned a lot. We eventually sold the technology off to a Fortune 100 company, which was cool. Um, and I then went on to start my second startup. Uh, went through Dream Adventures in Philadelphia and um, raised a little bit of funding for that because by this time, I had a network, I knew people, I understood how the startup world worked, um, but that one failed um, due to some poor team construction um, and also due to trying to rush things. I had figured out customer acquisition, which is a key thing for an entrepreneur, right? And so having figured that out, all I needed was the product and things were going to run. But I didn't take time to really focus on the product and get a good product out and try to cut corners and that came back to haunt us. And so that company didn't work out. And so then after uh, taking a step back and wanting to get my life under control because entrepreneurship is really hard, it's not fun, it's rewarding, it's not fun. The lows people don't talk about enough. Yeah, definitely. And the lows can be very real and um, I was in a bad place. And I need to take a step away. Uh, so I worked at a marketing firm in Baltimore for about a year. But then I left that marketing firm due to political reasons. They took on a client that I didn't agree with morally, and so I quit. Uh, I quit without a plan, didn't know what I was going to do next. I just knew I couldn't work for that organization anymore. And I didn't like the job. You know, I spent the last five or six years of my life running you know, tech startups to then just be asked to be a coding monkey again. It's like, it's not who I am. Like, I'm really good at networking and business development and strategy, not just sitting behind a computer and writing code all day, which I can do. I can do proficiently, but I have, I have more skills than that. Um, and that led me to seeing an email from um, the Maryland Technology Development Corporation, or TEDCO, um, which is where I work now. I went through a four-month process of applying for a job that they ultimately told me I wouldn't qualify for, but they said they really liked me. They said I had a strong brand in the local community, and they wanted me there. Um, so when I got to TEDCO, I started working as um a member of the Seed Investment Fund, and later helped uh, the organization launch what is now the Minority Business Pre-Seed Fund, which is a partnership between TECO and Harbor Bank Community Development Corporation. Uh, the Harbor Bank CDC is the nonprofit arm of Harbor Bank, which is a black-owned bank out of Baltimore. as 50-50 funding partners to give 10 minority-led startups in, in the state of Maryland, all across the state, $40,000 as early as the concept stage all the way up to the prototype stage. So basically, anybody who's not ready for TechCo's traditional seed investment money 
targeting founders from communities that don't have access to the earliest forms of funding, which we call friends and family round. Like if you don't have friends or family give you that first twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars to get started, where do you get it from? You don't. Having been the founder of two startups, I know what that feels like. I've gone through it. I've been there. And having um, a program like this that we have at Techco um, is amazing. Um, and I'll make this quick statement about Techco, right? So Techco is technically an economic development firm for the state of Maryland. Our goal is to increase job creation in the state. That is our primary focus. Not so much return on investment. Techco was founded in 1998 to see companies that were licensing technologies from our major research institutions because in Maryland we rank really high in research uh, but we weren't commercializing enough of that research and so that's what Techco was founded for and over time it's transitioned into a more of a, a funding organization instead of a grant organization where now we do 40 to 50 plus seed deals every year and that's not including our venture deals and our um, and other deals between our programs so we have eight different funding programs from um, stem cell research and commercialization to the Maryland Innovation Initiative, which does what Teco was originally founded for. If you are a professor at one of the major research institutions, you can get uh, $115,000 towards your research that you think could be potentially commercialized. If you are a company licensing technology for one of the major research institutions, you can get $150,000 towards that. Uh, then we have our seed investment fund, which consists of three funds, cybersecurity, life sciences, in general technology, we have a GAP fund, a Maryland Venture fund, and then we have the Minority Business pre fund. All house um, mostly spending um, state dollars, so taxpayer dollars to grow job creation. That's really interesting because I think one of the important things that a lot of different states are thinking about and a lot of different local redevelopment authorities are thinking about is how do you create a entrepreneurial ecosystem and how do you sustain that? And it sounds like both of you have had some experience with that. What would you say are some of the main components of creating that entrepreneurial ecosystem? I would say that it's really important to initially just first do a lay of the land, right? I find that the government, local governments and jurisdictions are just completely disconnected. And sometimes I'll say it doesn't exist because they just themselves are not tapped into it. So doing that initial audit, um, you'd find that there are actually a lot of pockets of organizations that exist. And so from that, what happens is making them sure that they're connected. So that's how that ecosystem starts, right? I have found that a lot of the build out that we did in DC, it wasn't because certain things weren't there, they just weren't connected. And then once you kind of make those connections and start getting people to talking and coming to the table that have never talked to each other, um, it, it seems like that's such an easy thing to do, but it really isn't when you have um, we'd oftentimes have organizations that might be, you know, an incubator, um, because around the time that I started with uh, district government, I mean, their first investment had just been into 1776 for that to be here. We work didn't even exist in D.C. So when you think about how much has exploded since 2013 in D.C., it's a lot of change um, just in the, these past four years. So making sure that these organizations are connected. And then I think the other piece is, and at least for me, it's, it's critical, is to making sure that it's diverse. And diverse is not just about gender and it's not just about race, right? It's about ability, it's about socioeconomic, it is about age, it's about a lot of different things. The reason why that is so important is that if you, to me, innovation comes out of survival. 
right? People innovate things because they're trying to solve usually a problem for themselves. And some of the best innovations come out of that. And I think when you only see things from one perspective, it's really hard for you to solve around that. So I just think that, you know, kind of connecting those dots, creating these pipelines, and then also making sure that they're most importantly, you can have all of this, but if there's not the investment there to make sure that these organ these organizations or companies are successful, whether that's coming from the private sector, from the VC world, from government, wherever, if there's not investments being made, it's not going to happen because people cannot really build up these these companies from nothing when they don't usually and I don't and this isn't just always um, about women in minority or diverse communities this is just in general most entrepreneurs do not have what McKeever mentioned is friends and family around so that investment in, in general is critical and I think that's one of the things that DC used to be back in the dot-com days was really like rivaled the valley right but then the Valley has kind of exploded in the amount of investments and the level of risk that they're willing to take. Uh, we're starting to see other jurisdictions around the country try to match that, but you can't because there has to be a whole separate investment ecosystem built out. But I'll throw to, to McKeever to talk more about that. So um, I agree from a, from a government standpoint. I think it's big that you connect all these organizations together. Because um, we see it happen in Boston, right? Boston went through this whole planning of how they created an innovation hub and the amount of money they put into it. I mean, they put in more than a billion dollars to make an innovation hub, right? And so that's, that's part of it, make, making sure everybody's connected, making sure there's a clear leader in the ecosystem to hold the ecosystem together. And then also making sure that along with the investments, that the people who are running these organizations and programs also look like the community. Um, who are tapped into the community and having programs that also tap into the educational resources because what I see a lot for first-time and early-stage entrepreneurs is just a lack of understanding of entrepreneurship, a lack of understanding the journey, a lack of understanding investment. Like You don't just have an idea today and go get investors tomorrow. We hear those stories, right? We hear those stories in the Valley. What you don't hear is the background behind it like, you know, this guy who just got this money, his dad was best friends with the fund manager or the fund manager was his mentor in college and then graduated from the same MBA program together. And that's what led to it. Right. Of course, everyone's kind of like a, a lone hero in it. Right. That like, oh, look at Mark Zuckerberg. He did this amazing task all by himself. But we're not really thinking about the networks and the privilege and the communities that these folks already come from. Absolutely. Um, which, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, you know, points out very well of how all those things conspire together for success. And when you don't have all those things there, how do you artificially put those together and create programs and organizations to help push that forward? And I think that's one of the things that Teco does really well. That's really interesting. I think one of the things that I've also been thinking about and that you hear often around investment and entrepreneurship is the idea of a pipeline. So minorities get maybe 1% of VC dollars, if even that. And then we, when, when we start thinking about minority women, it's even less than that. I think, Erin, you've done some research around that. But I'm wondering, what are you guys' comments on the pipeline? Do you feel like the pipeline exists and they're just not getting enough funding? Or do you feel like there's a little bit of both? So when people talk about the pipeline issue, they talk about there's not enough minority founders. And that's completely false, right? There's tons of minority founders. But when you think of a pipeline, you have to think of it like a funnel, 
right? It's got different stages as you go downwards, right? And as you go down from the top of the funnel where you have all these people, the better companies are going to filter down. The problem is what I see, and this is, this is my opinion, what I see in the minority communities, is there's plenty of people at the top of the funnel, right? But you don't see enough companies, enough founders traveling through the funnel to get to the end where we get a unicorn, right? And I think part of the problem is... And what is a unicorn? You have to explain what that is. Okay, you don't get a unicorn, so you don't get a, a, 10, a, a, a 10 billion plus company come out of it, right? So a Facebook or Amazon or Google, right? You know, a, a 10 billion or 1 billion plus company that comes out of the, that group. And the thing that I'm saying is there's a lot of founders at the top of the funnel. Part of it is they're not getting the educational portion. So they're going into this entrepreneurship journey without a full understanding of what's going on. And as they hit roadblocks, they start to become bitter because they go in with their own thought process of how it should work. And when it doesn't work that way, it makes you upset. Well, if you go in knowing how this works up front, you can mitigate some of that, right? And then the other thing is, these founders are coming into the pipeline without the resources that some of their counterparts have, and there aren't enough programs set up to help people move through the funnel. So I think the bigger pipeline issue is, we need more programs and more funding resources to help people start to move through the funnel so that we can get to those successful outcomes for the entrepreneurs that don't already have that that network effect or the family effect to help guide them through that. So you guys are both part of a lot of different ecosystems, specifically in the black community and just minority communities in general. What are some of the main problems that entrepreneurs have faced and how have some entrepreneurs solved those issues? So one of it's funding, right? So you're starting to see programs like the Minority Business Pre-Seed Fund we have at Tedco. You're starting to see these um, government and quasi-governments coming together to figure out how to infuse capital into diverse communities. We see the problem of entrepreneurs not, especially minority entrepreneurs, not getting connected into the network. And the, the, the smart ones, what they do is they go on Eventbrite or they go to Meetup and they find events and they start just going. And what you find is once you go to a few events, you get hooked into this, this community of like, there's these listservs, there's these Facebook groups, this is where everybody really gets their, their list of, of events. But if you don't know that and you just have a good idea and you just start running with it, it's really tough to get over that hurdle of how do I get connected? Because you might not view yourself as a tech entrepreneur. You might not view what you're doing as tech. So you don't even think about it in that kind of realm. And so there needs to be more organizations that help in the tech community need to be more active and getting that message out. And what you hear is like, well, we don't know where those people are. And what it equates to is, we hold events already. They don't come to our events, and we don't know why. You know, we're here willing to help them. They need to come find us, right? Which is the traditional way of how a lot of this stuff happens. And there are reasons for it, right? Some of them are very logical. But no, you need to go to other organizations. You know, if you want to reach out to black people, there's probably an urban league in your city. It's a historically black organization that helps with entrepreneurship and small businesses. Go reach out to them. They'll have connections for you, right? The local NAACP, they're there. Uh, there's local chamber of commerce that deal with other type of businesses. But one thing you'll find is business owners know other business owners. Chambers are some of the, the best resources I've used in Maryland to connect to entrepreneurs of diverse backgrounds all across the state, right? Like, 
you have to get out of your bubble. And that puts the onus on the organizations that are doing the work. But they really need to do the work. Like, work is the key point there, right? You need to do the work. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah, so it sounds like there's work on both sides, both on the sides of the entrepreneurs where they need to go to those events and actually meet up with those people to get connected with the organizations that are doing events. And on the on the organizational side, there's organizations that complain about not having enough minority uh, founders in their portfolios, but a lot of times they're not necessarily always putting in that work to go to that chamber of commerce or go to the NAACP. That's really interesting. Well, you know, one other thing that to me is like at the top of the list as far as a barrier is just the bias that exists. And that's not something that an entrepreneur can fix, right? Um, but it is, with that being stated, and it's it's kind of like, yes, we know this, yeah, but what can you do about it? And I think it's it's... One of the things that I've started to see entrepreneurs know that I think is a great way to do this is that they're changing the narrative themselves, right? With social media and, you know, the the way that we, we get our information, people are reshaping the way. I mean, that's really kind of why BFF exists is that what people don't realize, like even like the, we have a very active BFF Facebook group, that group exists all of the people in it are not BFFs. You know, McKeever's even in it, right? Um, it, there's a lot of uh, investors. There's a lot of um, organizations that are part of it um, that use it as a way. Like, I post articles so that people see, you know, there is someone that's successful. There's somebody that has this really great hustle. They've done this. And it starts changing that conversation to exactly what McKeever said, where somebody says, well, I don't know of anyone that looks like this, or I don't know of anyone. I don't know where to get these individuals. So I don't wait for people to ask to join. I just put people in there. If you're in this ecosystem, then you need to see these individuals. And I think changing that that conversation is so critical to changing bias, right? And our perception that people can't succeed. And I think that, and that there's not only one or there's not two, there are actually quite a few individuals that are, that are successful. That's one piece. The other thing is, is what we talked about just a moment ago is kind of that community support. I think the, the other reason that BFF exists and, and for us is, is that you have to have people cheering you on who understand what you're going through. One of the things that you talk to, and this doesn't matter race, gender, whatever, any entrepreneur, it's a very lonely space. They talk a lot about depression, a lot of things that happen psychologically. It's not for the faint of heart. It is so it's important to have a community that you can get support from to ask questions and not feel like they're dumb questions. Ask people who are willing to help you um, because as an entrepreneur, you're in a space that's constantly about being in competition with uh, others that are in your space or just being in competition with entrepreneurs in general who are also trying to get funding. You're in competition with everybody, right? So when you what happens in that way is that a lot of people don't share resources and information. One of the things that we've tried to do with BFF and even just what I do in any of my ecosystem building is creating a space where people can come together and share information, support one another, and so that people don't feel like they're alone. I want to touch on the point Aaron made about biases, about changing the narrative, and that's that going to be a long-term play, right? That's going to be done in the public eye and it's going to take time. But in the meantime, what do we do about that? And my answer to that is, Educate people on understanding what those biases are and what they mean and what that means to you as a minority founder. So as a minority founder going in, I know that I'm not going to be able to create a personal touch point with the funder in front of me, most likely. It's probably going to be a white male 
who did not grow up or come from a community similar as mine. So that means any additional untangible touch point probably won't exist. So if I don't have an existing touch point with them, the way I'm going to get that person's funding is I have to hit these metrics. So as a minority founder, you need to be that much more laser focused on hitting key metrics and making your story around that because you're not going to be able to create um, those intangible touch points, so make it as tangible as possible. And if you know that going in as a minority founder, I think that helps you craft your story. It helps you better understand about the fights you have ahead of you. Where when you see your counterparts are like, yeah, you know, we went to the same college, or you know, we grew up in similar neighborhoods, had similar backgrounds, you're probably not going to have that. And so if you don't, that means they can't come up with any intangibles when they look at you. It's like going to an interview. Like, they can't say, I see something in you, because that means they see themselves in you. Right? Right. They're not going to see that. So all they're going to be able to go over that they hit these key marks that we were looking for. So that means when you go to those investor meetings, hit those key marks. And that's how you start to navigate through this, this field. And when we get more founders that do that, we have more people we can lift up and start to change that narrative. Which, and I think, is really what we were talking about before about making sure people are better prepared before they even start the process. And I think that's critical. We're seeing more BFF does that with our BFF Labs pre-accelerator. There are a number of programs that are getting people prepared so before they even go into that pipeline, they understand the language, they know how to navigate it, they understand not just, you know, all money is good money and understanding equity and things like that. Because that alone, because you can take an investment, you can, you know, but if you eat up all of your equity like early on and end up completely upside down, that can crush your business no matter how successful on the customer acquisition point that you are. There's so many things as an entrepreneur, a lot of balls that you got to juggle at the same time and have the stars align on for it to be successful. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say are some of those key metrics, Erin, that you feel like you're addressing through the accelerator that you're working on? So our pre-accelerator with the BFF Labs really touches on a lot of those things, right? We're just making sure that people understand how to even set up their business properly and understand uh, financial modeling. Financial modeling is one of the things that I, I... it's the top thing that I see entrepreneurs completely just don't even know how to go into a conversation. How can you ask for money when you can't really explain how it's going to be used? Or how can you ask for money and take that money and not understand you know, what you're really signing the dotted line on, right? Um, and that's really critical. So we do a lot, and, and let me just say this, there are so many programs that exist for entrepreneurs that are ran by people who have never been an entrepreneur. And that's a problem. So the the great thing about our program is it's actually ran by people who have been entrepreneurs, uh, the people that we bring in, or who are entrepreneurs, and we the people that we bring in all touch on that as well. So we do a lot of financial modeling. We talk a lot about. Um, you know, we have kind of a lot of founders therapy, if you will, too, uh, because we talk about real issues like about, you know, deciding whether or not to have co-founders, things that come up, you know, learning a lot of terminology and even, you know, what we talked about, tapping them into the ecosystem. You'd be surprised how many people come to a BFF Labs and we're thinking, well, they found out about us, so they must be tapped in, but they've never heard of TEDCO. They've never heard of, you know, other organizations that exist. They've never been to a DC tech meetup. That's critical. So just we one of we spend some time actually just walking them through the ecosystem, um, not just locally, but nationally as well. And getting them tapped into, you know, and let me back up to say this, because I think the most critical thing that we do, and I know I keep saying that this is most critical and this. No, this is actually the most critical is that we build <laughs> confidence. 
we build confidence in uh, in themselves as a tech entrepreneur because that is going to take them a long way so that they can step in spaces that they otherwise would not feel comfortable. Speaking of confidence, what would both of you say are the most critical pieces of advice that minority entrepreneurs as well as organizations that do want to ensure that they're being inclusive and being diverse in their portfolios, what should they remember and what are some things that they need to take away from our conversation? Well, for the entrepreneur, understand very critically your network is your net worth. So even if you're an introvert and going to the events is not what you want to do and being around these people is not what you want to, where you want to be, you got to do it if you're going to be the CEO. If that's not where you want to be, find somebody on your team that will do that. That's going to be really important and invaluable. Um, get up on blogs and podcasts from people in the industry who are doing what you want to do or who fund the companies that you want to get funded by. Start picking up these books. Audible is amazing. You know, go through these, these entrepreneurship books. Go through these business books. They will help you a lot. Go through these marketing books. You want to come up with some customer acquisition strategies? Look at the book Contagious. It's amazing. There's a bunch of books out there for you. Um, and then on the organizational side, the thing I would say is we all need to start working under the same definition of diversity. Diversity means everybody. It doesn't mean women. It doesn't mean people of color. It doesn't just mean Native Americans. It doesn't mean LGBTQ. It does not mean just people with disabilities. It doesn't mean veterans. It means everybody. Diversity literally means everybody. If your organization doesn't look like that, then you're going to have some holes and some gaps. And know that going in, understand those holes and gaps and try to do whatever you can to fill them as best you can. And if you're going to talk about diversity, mean everybody. Otherwise, we're all working under different definitions and we're not moving forward. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, both both points. So specific to entrepreneurs, one thing that my my advice would be is just stay empowered that where there's a will there's a way one thing that i encourage entrepreneurs to do is study everyone else's hustle and that just is because there's there are people that you you know people can get stopped by mentally by thinking i can't do this because nobody else has done it or i can't do this because i don't see a way but if you really want something you will find a way and that's what makes you an entrepreneur that's what makes you an innovator right is you you do things in a non-traditional way and you're non-linear and you're thinking of coming up with a solution. But at the end of the day, you're solution-oriented. That's how you're building a business. So that's critical. Um, and to the organizations, very similar, because I was going to kind of make the same point that uh, McKeever made, and it also still kind of relates to the entrepreneurs too, is that it's critical to build out a very diverse advisory board. I think entrepreneurs need them and I think organizations need them. Obviously, most organizations have uh, advisory boards, but they're not always diverse, right? And they're 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 not always pulling from uh, a group of people that will actually make that organization better, that will help them provide the resources and tools. Again, you know, you, you have these organizations that are either ran or the people on their advisory boards are not necessarily entrepreneurs. I, I just find that insane, but that's what you find in the majority of organizations in our ecosystem. And then for the entrepreneurs, 
it is so critical. Like, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time, and they have not built out kind of even, and I think maybe they think they have to pay for it or something. I'm not sure. But there's some reason why they haven't built this kitchen cabinet of advisors to help them with their business. And they need to be people that are not and that have the same strengths that you do. But balance it out. If you don't need no financials, get somebody that can advise you on that. If you don't know legal, get somebody who can advise you on that. And I'm not talking about the hiring of the individuals to handle those things for you. But the people that can advise you that when you go to hire that attorney, that you can talk to somebody about, okay, should they be charging me for this? Do I really need to pay for that? What, what kind of IP do I need? What stage does this come in? Those things are so critical. And those are early decisions. That advisory board, which really ties into that, you, you know, that network being your net worth piece, is your social capital is like the most critical thing that you have as you start as an entrepreneur. And you got to use it wisely. Thank you both so much. Those were such incredible insights and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from it. You can check out Aaron's work on Twitter by following BFF Empire and can check out McKeever's work by following Mac Conwell. You can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Brianna Shaw. Thanks for listening and see you next week.